Welcome to the podcast arm of the Redeemed Christian Church of God, Peculiar People's Parish, based in Regina, Canada. Our mandate is pursuing His purpose, pronouncing His power, and proclaiming His praise. You can subscribe to our podcast channel today, so you never miss an episode of our podcasts. Be blessed by this teaching. For building capacity, two questions were asked. And I'm going to read both questions together so that um, our pastors can please um, help us provide answers as the Spirit directs. So the first question goes as this. What are the practical steps to building relational capacity? The second one goes as this. Can you differentiate between honor and partiality? as regards to James chapter 2 from verse 2 to 5. For example, there was a time in a particular congregation that some front seats were reserved for partners who contributed money to the ministry. Some people saw this as discrimination in the church, but I think what the ministry did was just to honor these partners. What can you say about this? Um, Pastor, sir, if you don't mind, thank you, sir. Ready for that? It's not compulsory. You see, uh, you know, sometimes we might accuse people of not calling you. The question is, how many have you even called yourself? You might say somebody did not wish you happy birthday. Have you wished others happy birthday? You know, you might say somebody is not looking for you or visiting. How many of you visited yourself? So it's important for us to know that whatever we want people to do to us is what we do back to them. That is the price of relationship. Relationship is very expensive and it will demand from us. So practical steps, first, count the cost. Do I really want to go into this friendship? And do I want to build this relationship? And after building the relationship, <clears throat> excuse me, sustaining it is even more <laughs> costlier. It's even more demanding, sustaining it. Now you get into a friend that you don't know what and what their, des- their demands will have been. Some friends, their demands are, I want you 24-7 to always be on me. And another one will like, I need your money. Another one will like, I need your time, I need your whatever. So sustaining that friendship is another thing. It's important for us when we have finally built, I mean, come together and start uh, initiative friendship relationship that will look at intrinsically what is the demand of that friend, friendship and if we are able to sustain it. And then when we give that demand to it, then you're, you're at the verge of you know, having relational uh, capacity built. But it is very important to always remember that God did not create us in isolation. We will always give as we take from people. God bless you. Thank you so much, Sam. Yes, ma'am. Praise the Lord. Just to add to what Pastor said, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26. He said, the righteous should choose his friend carefully. As much as it's good for us to, to choose friend, we must be careful. It's not everyone that will be our friend. So we should be conscious in a choosing friend. Praise the Lord. Oshas, can you please pass the mic to Pastor Shola? 
Pastor Sholasan, um, I have a question here, the second question on building capacity here, that says, can you differentiate between honor and partiality? Why do we reserve the front row seat for certain people because they give money to the church? Praise the Lord. Um, I can sense that the person that asked that question was also referring to James chapter 2 that we treated some weeks ago. And um, it is very pertinent for us to know that just like what the Bible says concerning giving honor to whom it deals, there are times when probably because of special programs, the church might want to honor a set of people because of their uh, contributions to some of the programs or because of their commitment to some of the activities of the church. That is different from what the book of James chapter 2 was talking about, which is about presenting a seat or reserving a permanent seat for a certain set of people in order to differentiate them from other members of the church and to make them feel bad, such that there is a delineation among the members of the church that is giving a sense of importance to a set of people over and above other people. So, what that question is really addressing is the difference between something that has become a norm in a you know, particular congregation as to a different case where it is a one-off thing just to give honor to a set of people. However, there is a, cause, there is a call for caution in the course of giving this honor so that it is not done in a way that people that are still looking up to God for help or people that are, uh, and, uh, people that are not as so much privileged would be feeling bad. And that is what the book of James was talking about. However, let me, very be, let me be very clear about that, that it is not a bad thing. When we give honor to some people, probably because of what they have done, you know, out of the cycle in order to promote the cause or a project in the church, it is not a bad thing. However, we should make sure that we don't differentiate among the people and we let everybody know that before God, we are all equal. I pray the Lord will help us in Jesus' name. Thank you so much, Sam. Technical, can we please have First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12 for Pastor IT, please. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12. Somebody sent in a question and said, please explain First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12. Someone was condemning churches who allow women to mount the altar based on this verse. And I sincerely didn't have anything to say to convince him otherwise. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. Pastor IT, what can you weigh in here for us, sir? Amen. So, First Timothy chapter two, verse twelve. Um, I'm going to start reading it from verse eight, and and I'll read it all the way to verse fifteen. 
and then we'll trust God that maybe there's something that will, he will drop in my heart. And then if not, I'll say I don't have anything else to say. So First Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, it says, I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair, or gold, or pearls, or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence, which is the verse 12 that we, we were referencing. And then verse 13, he said, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Um, so I, am, I don't have the full picture of what Paul was communicating specifically in this instance, but the thing that struck me in that verse 12 is that he said, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority. And this was his counsel as best he was understanding in his context. Um, I think that for me, or as best I can understand it, I think that there is a, there is, I, I don't want to speak out of turn. My impression, my personal impression, is that there was a context there that was creating a dissension with the way um, it was being treated. And he was trying to bring an order of spiritual authority as it relates to a man and a woman. However, when I look at the question that it was paired to with respect to why do certain churches allow a woman stand and speak on in the altar or things like that my best response to that is um, the vessel that god chooses to use um, to communicate whatever it is that is his message in that instance i think that we have to be submitted to God to receive that, whoever that vessel might be, and whether it is in male form or female form. Um, so it, that would be my only response in that instance. And I look at it as he didn't say, and God does not permit a woman to teach, he said, and I do not, which is, and Paul is someone that consistently said, there's some things that are my impression, there's some things that are of God. And he gave his rationale for why he says, I do not in this instance. My best presupposition is that there was some issues there um, that he needed to draw some order to which was necessary in it. But I'll defer to our pastor for the best answer. Thank you, sir. I'll, I'll take Pastor Mrs. first. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It is, I want to comment on uh, verse 11 when I was looking at it this uh, evening. He said, hi, I do not. So it wasn't that it was an express commandment from God that, we sh that, it should not, that that should not happen, but just based on his own opinion. And Pastor IT have already said that. Praise the Lord. Pastor Sam. 
Anyways, um, thank you for all those comments, and I agree totally with uh, Pastor IT and uh, my wife. Um, in the context, you see, I want to say something clearly. We're in Bible study, and please, let's understand this clearly. Letters of Paul are very, 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 very difficult to analyze, and they're very, very sensitive to follow. Why? Because Paul wrote almost all of his letters, not to unbelievers. He wrote them to the church to address situation of churches that he has, you know, he has established or passed through or anything like that. And Paul spent time to address each church specifically based on the issues that they were on that were you know, prevalent at that moment in the particular church that he writes to. Now, taking those letters and generalizing them in our own days is where the problems of doctrines have been, you know, have originated from. Many people believe that what Paul said to Corinthian church, for example, is applicable to every church all over the world. Many people believe that uh, what he says, you know, to Ephesian church is applicable to everybody. Yes and no. It's just that we need the spirit of God to help us in the place of revelation to know which one is really applicable to the case that we are having right now in our midst. For example, he was talking to Corinthian church on issues that boils down to wealth and riches, and they're thinking that they, they, are, they are very popular and well-grounded, um, and they were doing all sorts of things. Um, their women at the time were also, you know, adorning themselves, and they were bringing all kind of hair, hairdo into the church, and they were competing. There was competition. And that was when he was telling them about covering or no covering. That became a general doctrine that some people believe if you don't cover your head in church as a woman, you are going to hell. The scripture didn't say that. If we do find ourselves in that context that he was saying or addressing, then that scenario might be applicable to us, even though we are not in church in Corinth. So this is why I said sensitivity uh, is required when we are addressing letters of Paul. Now, in this context that we just read in First Timothy, he was writing the letter to Timothy, who was the bishop over the church at Ephesus. And it was, and at that time, they have a god, goddess that they, they deserve. So theologians found out that in Ephesus then, the goddess that they serve were actually the, the, the people in charge of those religious sects were women. Women were the coordinators. They were the one overseeing that goddess. And so when they became Christian, they brought those um, um, Gentiles mindset into the church to also think that they would be in charge of God's contest as well. And Paul was telling them, no, that is not allowed. That's why he said, I do not permit a woman to speak. Now, that is not to say that our women cannot uh, speak in the house of the Lord. Uh, it, it goes into the place of revelation. In RCCG, for example, at the very beginning, women are not pastors. And when Adeboye took over, 
and got a revelation that that's not what the scripture is saying, women today are even up to regional pastors of the, of the church in some places. We have a woman who's a regional pastor in the United States right now. We have lots of women uh, provincial pastors. We have women that are parish pastors and their husbands are not pastors. Now, how I answer this is the book of Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament. It says on verse 16, this is what was said by Joel. And in verse 17, and it shall come to pass, on the last day said the Lord, I will pour out my spirit upon how many flesh? All. And your sons and who? Your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servant and on my aunt maidens, I think those are women, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. I don't see that God himself says women should not talk in church. Thank you, sir. Let me clap for pastor. Thank you so much, sir. God bless you. Um, I would like to throw this to the old house, this next question. So, house, you are going to decide this one for me. With reference to Pastor Shola's statement about judging other churches, judging other churches, and that's why I'm throwing it to you guys now, because they don't do the things the way we do it in our church. Some people say it is not right for churches to take communion when there is daylight. Is there a biblical right time of the day to take communion? I'm asking the old church, if you don't nominate somebody before I call you. Someone is saying, is there a biblical time you must take holy communion? Pastor Femi Abe. Thank you, sir. Please, who knows what Holy Communion is all about? I know what Holy Communion means. Raise up your hand. What it means? Okay. All right. Pastor Femi, sir. Okay. Um, yeah, we, uh, though we, we call it, uh, the Bible says, the Lord's Supper. But when it, when, where it all started was when Jesus Christ met those two disciples on the way. And when their eyes were opened, they went to a house and he broke bread and so on and so forth. So but in that place, the Bible did not say that it was in the evening or in the morning or in the afternoon. So for me, I don't think there is any particular time. What Jesus Christ said, he said, do this in remembrance of me. If it were to be in the evening, he would have said, do this in the evening in remembrance of me. But it didn't state, I mean, there was no time stated there. But he said we should do this in remembrance of him. Thank you so much, sir. Any opinion, suggestion? Yes, please.
one more contribution at the back, please. I don't know. Yes, ma'am, Pastor Mrs. Praise the Lord. Matthew chapter 26, verse 20. The story that uh, her sister mentioned, I will read from verse 20. It says, when evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. I think that's where the people thought it should be in the evening, because Jesus ate it with the disciple in the evening. And uh, I don't want us to just uh, look at it as if uh, it's just a, a rubber stamp that it was taken in the night, in the evening. It should be like that everywhere. The, the, the important thing is the understanding that we have about the body and the blood. Because understanding will separate if you, if you eat it in the morning, eat it in the afternoon, or in the evening. If you don't have the understanding, it will not work. So understanding is key when it comes to this. And I don't think... I don't think uh, it's a general thing. I know some churches, I know people, some people, want, when they want to pass away, they will give it to them to eat. Some, are, they just eat it, maybe in their home. So I don't think it's a doctrine, yeah? But in, in this mission, in redeem, it is taken in the evening. Praise the Lord. Yes, sir. Had you know one of the comments I had uh, Pastor Shola made sometimes on this uh, is that the power of the meal is what is most important than the timing of the meal, and I totally agree with that. Um, yes, even when Paul was telling the decide, I mean, telling the people in Corinth, this is one of the things he addressed in. Uh, First Corinthians chapter 11, and it was telling it precisely call it there the Lord's Supper and so on and so forth. So that is where I believe people who emphatically says take it at night um, draw their opinion from. But as we have just said, understanding the power that is in the meal is more critical than just you know the timing of the meal. Um, I wouldn't want us as a church to castigate people that take it in the day you know uh, for example I belong to a ministry where I would take it in the day before and it's working <laughs> I was there for over 30 years it worked for us so it doesn't really matter we take it at night we take it in day we take it anytime holy communion is holy communion it can be lost breakfast wherever but just take holy communion whenever you feel and the Holy Spirit is leading you to take it. And again, we can even take it in your family as well. It's just that as RCCG, we have come to stay establish that, okay, for organization purpose, this is the time, and we're going to follow this evening of taking of Holy Communion. That does not mean we should castigate other churches that are doing it under a different revelation, and it's working for them. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much, sir. Um, we'll move on to the question on tight and um, pastor sir i will direct these three questions to you and um, i pray the lord will help you sir in the name of jesus three questions in one the first one says who was Melchizedek in the old testament and what was his correlation to jesus in the old testament 
was he Jesus? The follow-up question is this. If no, who is able to receive tithe if not God or Jesus alone? And then the third question. Is it okay to split my tithe between two, two churches where I worship? One where you are there physically and the other where you worship online. All right, thank you. Um, Book of Genesis chapter 14 talked about uh, Melchizedek, king of Salem, uh, who brought uh, out bread and wine and uh, he gave this to Abraham. Um, if you open your Bible verse, I mean Bible to Genesis chapter 14, in verse 18, we see Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought bread uh, unto Abraham and all of that. And then Abraham gave him the tithe of all things. In verse 18, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was the priest of God, most high. He blessed him and said, blessed be Abraham of God, most high, possessor of heaven and heart. Uh, but when we will refer back to Melchizedek in the book of uh, Hebrew chapter 7, for example, he talked about Melchizedek blessing, I mean, priest of Most High, blessing Abraham. After Abraham had won the battle that he brought his uh, family back and all of that. Um, you see, when you look at biblical um, history and, and some stories, they are like a um, hyperbolical representation of something. Like, like trying to, in the midst of representing something, something just, something is stood just to express, to give an expression to a contest to a particular uh, um, point or a particular um, knowledge that God wants us to have. And when it comes to Melchizedek, the scripture was describing him as the king of Salem. Salem means peace. Now, this is a king that has no beginning and has no end. It was trying to describe him like in the position of God. He's not God. He called him Melchizedek, the priest of God. So he didn't say Melchizedek was God. But he was using Melchizedek as an example of God that has no beginning or has no end. And of course, God is in form of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he, he came in form of that, and he was able to bless. In fact, at, his, at a particular place, he said, the higher blesses the lesser. So the king of Salem met Abraham. Even though Abraham was called out by God, and king of Salem, we don't even know where he came from, just came into the scene. But he blessed Abraham, meaning that he was higher than Abraham at that moment bringing the blessings of the Almighty upon Abraham. And so Abraham treated him like whatever I do to the priest of God, I do it to God. So in other words, he connected, because remember at that time, there was no, Abraham, uh, there was no this kind of religious setting that we have right now. Uh, there was no even Judaism as it were, like, like that Abraham that started with Abraham. They were all worshiping idols. So, Melchizedek came as a prince of the Most High, and Abraham connected to the priest of God. Now, if you are a priest, where is your congregation? So, he has, indirectly, there was no congregation as it were. 
that Melchizedek was congregating, I mean, that was uh, a priest over. But his, his story was a metaphor of God, of, of just showing the, the, um, the infinite of God. You know, God has no beginning, God has no end. And so Abraham gave him tithe. Tithe that gave to the priests of God goes to God. So who has the right to collect tithe? The tithe is a worship. And that's what the scripture was saying here. When I studied this a little bit uh, sometimes in the past, I understood that Melchizedek did not ask Abraham for any tithe. Abraham chose to give the tithe of everything he has to Melchizedek, the priest of God, as a means of worship. And we were now referring to it in the New Testament that everything we give to God, whether to the house of God directly or so, is unto the Lord himself. In the Old Testament, they kill animals, and the animal God will not eat them. The priest, for example, has what they must take. And the sons of uh, Eli also were taking different portions that were not belonging to them, and God was angry with them. So, did God eat out of this meat? No. But was God interested in it? Yes. God was very interested in what is his portion is his portion, and he has decide, decided where he wants his portion to go. So he has said, this goes to the priest, this goes to the other person, and also on. And so the priest cannot even take more than what God has said should come to him. Now, that was the story of Melchizedek. He, he stood as a representative of God that has no beginning or has no end. Who collects tithe? Tithe goes to the house of God. And when tithe comes to the house of God, it is the prerogative of the leadership now the priesthood to determine how the tithe will be spent in the name of the law for the things of God. Yes, I know that things have been bastardized today that many people use that to do whatever they want. As far as I'm concerned, leave them with God. You have done your own as giving your tithe as a worship, not supporting the church, not I am, we are the one bankrolling the church. No, we are not bankrolling any church. We, God can support his work, but this is my heart of worship unto God, and that was the same thing Abraham did to Melchizedek after he received the blessing. Now the question is, where do I pay my tithe? Should I uh, split my tithe into two? As I said, tithe is a thing of worship. It's, it's a hot seat. <laughs> Because what I say right now, they say, Pastor said so. Now, but I, I just need to tell us some truth about this. And please listen to me carefully. If you don't understand, don't take my word out of context. We can, we can discuss it better. Your tithe is between you and your God. Nobody has the right to say, this is how you should worship God with your tithe. Nobody. Now, now, wait before we clap. <laughs> wait before we clap. Because it's an act of worship. But you must do what you are doing in understanding. Because some people don't have an understanding. I've heard before, should I give title to the church where I worship? Uh, or should I give it to another church? Uh, should I... I mute my mouth when you're asking me. Me, I know where I give my own. It's as simple as that. So, if you want to give it where you worship... So be it if the Lord convinces you and gives you rest. If you say you want to go and be giving it to um, another ministry, that's fine. So be it is between you and your God. I know that the, 
the, the, the first thing in us as church leaders, we say, no, put it where you are. Because we are, you are here. We are the one feeding you. I'm not going to tell you that, too. <laughs> Let God direct you how you worship him with your tithe. But one thing I know that I would rather just say, which I know is the truth that I will tell you here, is not an opinion. You don't have right to determine what you use your tithe for. I want to use my tithe to help some uh, widow. That God did not send you that. I want to use my tithe for hospital. God did not send you that. Bring it to my house. Whether you bring it to the house in Weybon or you bring it to the house in Regina, that's your own business. But bring it to the house of God and let the priest determine what he wants to do with the tithe. It's not your prerogative to say, I use my tithe to help some people on the street. God did not send you to do that. God bless you. Hallelujah. Thank you so much, sir. Did you notice Pastor mentioned keywords there? Willingness and what? Worship. May the Lord give us understanding in the name of Jesus. So we're going to move on to life situations. And we have some couple of questions here um, which I would direct to Pastor Mrs. Shaba. Two questions to start with because there are five here. Thank you for establishing the fact that great gain does not mean you are godly. To me, this means that when you are passing through some negative situations, it does not also mean that you are not godly. This is a way God is teaching us not to be quick to judge as Christians. Question number one. How do we make this an awareness in the church of God? So, so many unrooted souls have been lost because they have been wrongly judged or treated because of their situation. Follow-up question. At what point do you draw the line between being content and being ambitious? Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank God Pastor is here. <laughs> and Pastor IT. <laughs> so, please, the first question, please. So, the person is saying that, that the fact that some people are going through situations does not mean they are not godly. But the problem is the church has been judging people that are going through situations. So, first of all, how do we create that awareness? And then the second follow-up is that at what point do we draw the line between being content and being ambitious? The first question I will, I will say this is good as Christian that we are rooted. I, I do say this, that God doesn't have a, a grandchild. We all, all of us have direct link to God. If I do something, sometimes was it last or two weeks, I did something. And uh, I was thinking about it. it. wasn't a sin, but my conscience was pricking me. My conscience was, when I was, I was analyzing it, that this is not a sin. Okay, if I see the person, I'm going to just straighten it. And I wanted to pray. I couldn't pray. That was disturbing me. And I said, God, I don't know if this is a sin, but if this is a sin, I'm confessing it. 
have mercy on me, forgive me. As soon as I said that, I felt this kind of peace within me. Because I was able to do what I should do. We should have this understanding as Christians that devil is, uh, is an accuser of brethren. He's going to accuse us before our father. So it is very important that we don't lack knowledge. We should know what is expected of us as children of God. If I have done something wrong, I have the right to go to my father to ask for forgiveness. I won't wait until a friend or church member judge me. I won't wait until pastor say this. Because what? I know the word. It is very important as children of God that we expose ourselves to the world. Let's know what the Bible says. It's, it is when we don't know what the Bible is saying about a particular thing that people can be tossing us here and there. Is that they will judge you and you feel condemned. Who can judge if no God? And our God is a merciful God. Whatever we have done, we can go to him to do what? To, to forgive us. So we should not wait until somebody judge us. We should not let people condemn us. We have, we have a conscience. When we do something that is wrong, your, our conscience will prick us. Our conscience will tell us that this thing that you have done is not right. And as a child of God, we should confess it. If you want to make restitution, we should go ahead and make restitution. We should not wait until what? Until we are condemned. That is the false uh, answer to, to I, I don't know, Pastor, we have beef. I don't know if I'm right. Then the second one, contentment and abuse, right? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> you, can, you can call a friend. <laughs> <laughs> or 50 50. <laughs> Think I'm just thinking about it. As a Christian, we should we should be we should be ambitious, but we should draw the line. We should like like you know like when Pastor was we're talking about it yesterday. Pastor said some people said. Jesus is coming, and because of that, they stop whatever they are doing. They don't want to make progress in life. They think that because I'm godly, I'm not expected to, to maybe to go. Jesus will come next week. Because of that, I don't want to make progress with my life. This pastor said that is a, is laziness, a sign of being lazy. That Christ, as a Christian, we should, we should be ambitious, but we should allow God to direct us. We should let it, whatever we want to do, let it be that God is in it and it is God that is uh, guiding us in whatever we want to do. Not being driven by self. Not being driven by self that we want to be anything in life. Let it be that what is aligning us with God. Praise the Lord. I think Pastor should help me or Pastor Haiti. Pastor Haiti wants to help us. Yeah, let, let us have the second level and then we'll now go to the highest. <laughs> um, I, 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 think, I think mom, baby, our Pope, actually, we are coming down and then we're not going. <laughs> I, think she, I think she said um, pretty much what was on my heart. I'll, I'll just use different words in case it, it strikes better. So um, as relates to the first question, I mean, I think... On the specific question of how do we create awareness, 
Awareness can't be created if people aren't taught. But I want to shift back to say something. There's a tendency that we all have as people that we, and I, I just want to name it, it is one of the things that the devil is doing to cause us to separate ourselves from where God has put us, is that we equate the weaknesses of men to the weaknesses of the church. So we call what men do in their weaknesses what the church is doing. Now, the church is the body of Christ. And he, he loves his body. He said he made his body pure. Now, we that live out as being members of this body have imperfections. And this is where when um, my baby was saying we have to be rooted, it's so critical. We need to be able to see God beyond men and beyond the weaknesses of men. He said we have this treasure in earthen vessels, right? So earthen vessels can break. They can, they are weak. They have, you know, shortcomings. So there are shortcomings. I was talking to um, a minister of God recently and they were talking about how, you know, currently they, they ran into somebody that they knew that was in their church when they were, when that person was younger and said to the person, I owe you an apology. There were some things that I was doing to you when you used to be here with us and I didn't know better. And I'm sorry about that. Now, that person, if that person in those times, that person hadn't left God, but if that person in those times had left God because of the lack of knowledge that this person had, at the end of the day, when the accountability comes, like my baby was telling us, it's going to be between that person and God. You're not going to be able to say, well, it was that, you know, minister that, you know, that judged me wrongly, right? So I think we need to record, we, in, on our own grounds, it is not an excuse for people that take leadership positions not to know better. But as much as we will know, we are still men that are subject to weaknesses. And, and, and knowing part, there might be some things that we'll see and it looks to us like it is because of this. And that's what we will see. It is just the limits of our understanding. When, when, as, as God gives us grace, you know, we do better and we walk better. But we need to be careful that we don't allow the weaknesses of men separate us from being a part of the body of Christ, which is the church. But that said, how do we increase awareness? Teach. The more we teach, the more we give understanding that we can't make those suppositions just because of what it looks like. We need to be connecting with God to give us direction. The easier it is for us not to fall in the wrong place. And in some instances, there is actually a judgment that somebody needs to be humble enough to receive. It might be because you did something wrong that you are going through with it just as much as it might not be because you did something wrong. And if you know, that has been received with understanding, it should be accepted. Contentment and ambition, like when Baby was talking about, it is a matter of, I, I see the line as an issue of idolatry. Um, what is your God? Ambition is driven by the God of self. I want, I want, I want, or, every, or, what, or a, a God that pushes to covetousness. This looks like more and that competition. Contentment is recognizing that as much as I desire, God, what you give me, I am pleased with and I am grateful. So that's where I would draw the line. Thank you so much, Sam. Um, 
In the interest of time, I will jump to prayer. We have five questions from prayer. I will ask three at a time. What do you what do you do when you don't feel like praying? There are days I don't feel the urge or need to pray. Is that wrong? And are there tips? Question number two. We are being told to pray and read the Bible consistently. What are the indications or changes one should look out for as a sign of reward or growth or improvement? Question number three out of five. Some believers say a prayer, I pray through Jesus Christ our Lord, instead of I pray in the name of Jesus. Is this right? Please support with reference. Pastor Star, do you want to help us with that? Okay. Um, what should I do when I don't feel like praying? Uh, pray. Pray, please. That's, that's when you, you pray. Uh, military people, uh, they, sometimes they don't feel like going to battle, but they still have to go because there is a battle to fight. I don't mean prayer is just for battling. I'm just saying that there are, it's not only prayer that we don't feel like doing, but we still do. Um, the time when you don't really feel like praying is the good time to actually pray. Um, and when we get to that level, what are the tips now? That when we get to that point where you don't feel like praying, some of the things I do personally is to ask the Holy Spirit to help me. I, I might be kneeling down and I want to pray and, uh, and I'm just distracted, mind is just wandering around. That's why you want to call this, you want to, oh, have you checked on that person? Oh, that person is in the hospital. Oh, that person, da, 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 da. And too many things were just coming. You are guiding your heart to say, hey, stay here and pray. But it's just wandering around. And sometimes you get up and you say, okay, maybe it's not now to pray. No, stay there and pray. Sometimes you want to pray, you are tired because of other things that are happening in the day or because of bodily demand and you're tired. Some, sometimes we won't sleep in the place of prayer. But what is most important is just stay there and pray. Drag yourself to the place of prayer. Um, part of what we normally help is to have your time, location. I mean, a place where you have put yourself to say, this is my prayer corner. I don't know, it happens to me that when I find myself there, the zeal, the desire would come back. If I lie down on my bed and I'm doing you know, this head shake and all of that, and then dosing is taking it, you better jump up and walk to that corner. And find, whether your kneel is your posture that helps you better, or, you know, or standing up or sitting down or whatever posture, but it helps to always have a place you call your altar where you always go to re-energize and to refire. So these are a few tips that can help. But again, we don't leave prayer to just any time. We've talked about it here. Prayer should, you, when you, your personal prayer time now, you should, should be so disciplined that I have a time that I do what I do. If we leave it for any time, the danger of it is that you might not be able to do it at, a, at when the time comes. Maybe something else crops into that time, uh, I mean, into our days, and then we are unable to just address it at that moment. Then we keep pushing it back, pushing it back till we didn't pray. So what should I do when I don't feel like praying? Please pray. 
discipline yourself to create an altar, discipline yourself to create a time and to, to have a definite time that this is my praying time. There's nothing wrong with that. And it will really help you. Discipline yourself also to have a location where you say, this is in my household. This place I like to stay there and fire very well. Maybe it will allow, for example, for me, if I go into my basement, nobody's looking at my drama. It's me and God. So I can do whatever I like there. I can roll on the floor. I can do what, and I'm not disturbing anybody. But if I'm doing the same thing in my living room, I believe kids will be wondering what's wrong with her dad. You know, things like that. So have a place where you're secluded and you can really do your stuff. And sometimes I just walk down to the church and I just spend my time here. The, the zeal to pray will come. The other thing is have a prayer partner. Have somebody who can re-energize, who can link up with you. Uh, Pastor, I don't feel like praying today. Or brother, I don't feel like praying. Or sister, I don't feel like praying today. Can we pray together? It will help us to pray. So don't do it in isolation. Truth be told, there are times that prayer becomes a challenge or praying becomes a challenge. But have a prayer partner that iron can sharpen iron. I hope uh, those few tips can help someone. Um, then the other question, sir. So growth, how do, what are the signs if I am consistent? Okay, so if I'm consistently reading the Bible and uh, studying the scripture and growing, um, you see, the first thing you will see personally is the inner growth. There, there's a way that all these things we call activity, there's a way they help our spiritual life. You will see the inner growth. Now, we talked about prayer now, for example. When you say you want to pray 10 minutes or you give yourself 30 minutes praying every day, it's not going to be easy at first. But as you continue to you know, do it and spend your time in it, you find out that as time goes by, you will you will start finding it easier to do than when you first started. There is, there is an inner growth. There is an inner strength we build in the place of doing all these things. When the inner growth continues to happen, honestly, in the physical, in the, the bodily growth or the physical growth will be evident as time goes by. We, see, we start seeing ourselves that, oh, I wasn't able to do this before, some two years ago, but now I'm able to do it. We come into some understanding. We come into some progression in our spiritual journey that we would know that I am no longer a kid that I used to be some two, three years ago. Now, this starts from the inner understanding, inner growth that you see. Um, some persons, the understanding can be to even explaining the scripture the understanding can be to even understanding what the Bible is saying at a particular context to the extent that it will help them to deal with some circumstances of life. For example, if I am someone that I've been burdened with anger before and anybody offends me, I'm just going to explode. But I just found out that two, three years after then, I don't explode like that anymore. That's growth. That's progress. That that thing has done, studying the scripture, staying in the place of spiritual you know, uh, activities or exercise has helped you with. It could be sometimes that you have been battling with a certain sin before. And all of a sudden, you just say that, wow, I've overcome this sin. Like one of our brothers that gave testimony about, about porn and all of that. You, you just see that I'm no longer in that sensual position. I'm moved. I've moved on by the grace of God. Some it could be boldness to even preach the gospel. Ten years ago, I couldn't stand before people to talk like this. But now here I am speaking. That's part of growth that you can see. So all of these things will show that we are progressing in our spiritual journey uh, as, we, as we spend time in the place of prayer. So the last one is a prayer. 
people and prayer through Jesus Christ our Lord oh, okay. or in Jesus name thank you sir either one works either one works <laughs> as long as Jesus is there <laughs> either one works you see it's because we are speaking English that we are saying this thing if it was in German or in Hebrew or something, we probably don't have all those letters follow each other like that. And you mean God will not answer? No. God says, sir, as long as Jesus is there, either one works. God bless. Amen. Thank you so much, sir. So, um, in the interest of time, I just want us to round up the questions on prayer. Um, so, I'll pass this, you know, into the congregation. And my eye is looking at Pastor Emeka there. God bless you, sir. I have two questions for you, sir. Speaking in tongues, how do you know that you are speaking the language of the Holy Spirit? Is there a tongue that is of the evil spirit? How do I know I am speaking the true tongue? Question number two. I hear a lot of people, a lot of preachers say, pray for 10 hours. I look at my schedule and there is no room for 10 hours. Secondly, I wonder what will I be saying for the 10 hours? Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Acts chapter 2, verse 4 said the Holy Spirit came down upon the disciples while they were waiting on the Lord. And it was an evidence. The people that live in that town, they had them speaking an unknown tongue. And some of them said they can even hear them speak in their own language. So, how did they know that? And what they were saying was magnifying our King, our God. And that shows as the true one. And it's also an evidence that you have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Now, the evidence of speaking in tongues is for every child of God. You desire it, you can receive it at home, you can receive it in a church, you can receive it through administration. So there is no specific way that you can get it. But once you get it, it must be magnifying God. It must also be edifying you that is even speaking in that tongue, which means that tongue is pure, it is true. And sometimes you might be praying, there are words that you cannot express. The Bible says the Holy Spirit himself would pray for us with deep groanings. You cannot, English word, even Yoruba, Ausa, cannot even express those words. You, you cannot even, you can't even get the right word, but... The moment you speak in tongue, you key to that heavenly signal, you see that something is happening in the spiritual realm. Don't forget, that is the only language the devil cannot understand. He cannot decode. He cannot even uncover it. And that's your direct access to God. That is the true one. But the one that is an evil one is when someone that has been speaking in tongue before has basnided. That time, whatever that person is speaking is not pure. Because it is from the Holy Spirit. It comes from the Holy Spirit. They don't teach you. You don't mimic someone. You don't learn after somebody. But it's the Holy Spirit that gives you the utterance. So whatever that person is saying, it's not edifying anybody. It's not even blessing anybody. It's not even magnifying the name of the Lord. So that's how you will know. And what's the next question, sir? They say I should pray for 10 hours. Okay. Okay. Go and I don't know what I'll be saying in that 10 hours. I want to put it this way. If you are in a relationship, like those couples that are married, you ask yourself a question. 
what do you say when you are talking to that lady or that brother before you get married? How, how, how do you quantify? Because you see, you find that you talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, and the next day you want to talk, the other day you want to talk. So I, I don't know how to put this word. If you say you have a relationship with God, Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship. So if God can come down in the cool of the day to have fellowship with man, it means that something is important to God, that he brings himself lower to have a relationship. So if you love God and you're in a relationship with him, just to visit him or to talk to him shouldn't be a big deal. Sometimes he might just be there, just praise him and appreciate him. 30 minutes, one hour, gone. And sometimes you might go there to pray for your own need and he will drop something in your heart. By doing that, you might spend one hour, you might spend two hours. You might even speak in tongue for one hour. You might speak in tongue for two hours. I have a father-in-law that brought me up and said, you can't go into the presence of your Lord every time, ask, ask, ask. Sometimes speak in tongue for an hour. Sometimes just worshiping for an hour, and I cultivated that. So you can actually find time from your schedule. You might be busy, but while you are driving, you can be doing that. While you are cooking. You can be doing that. I walked in a town that I drive two hours those days in Saskatoon. As soon as I kick the car and start moving, I pray. I worship. So you always get that time. The 24 hours is equal for everybody. But what you do with that time will determine the value you place on God and the value you have for him. If you have value for him, brethren, you will create time for him, no matter how small it is. See, if you say you are tired... God forbid they tell you that the house is burning. You will run. That tiredness will clear. If you say you are weak, God forbid something is happening that is not good. You will take off. You will be on your toes. So having time for God is very important. Spending that time in a secret place to pray and communicate with him. Sometimes let him talk to you. Sometimes let, he wants to relate things to us. But because we chat, 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 we don't want him to talk. So sometimes just go there and worship and listen to him. You see that you spend one hour, two hours, three hours. You may not do the whole ten hours. But in a week, at least you find time. Not just Monday to Monday or Monday to Sunday. At least talk to your lover once a day. Maybe 30 minutes, maybe one hour. May God help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, sir. A round of applause for our pastor, Emeka. Thank you so much, sir. Um, I want us to quickly take some questions on warfare, and there are just two questions. Pastor, Mrs., I will push this your way. Um, the first question says, how do I know or tell that I am under a spiritual attack? Are there symptoms? Then the second one says, can an evil covenant be entered into on one's behalf when someone is in Christ? Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. I think the purpose of a spiritual attack is to make us move away from God and um, to make us doubt the faithfulness of God. So when we notice in our lives that we lost that, uh, that desire to want to be with the Lord, you lost it and uh, one week you are not there. Uh, Apostle Simon says something, say if you are prayerless, if you are no praying, say if you are no praying, say you are already under attack. So if you find that you're, you're, you can't pray, 
you, the devil is taking away, they say a prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. So if you find that your love for God is diminishing, and you find that you can't stay in the place of prayers, you find out there's some things in your life that is not aligned to the purpose of God. The Lord has told you something about your life and it's no coming true. It's no coming true. You have prayed and it's like, you know, sometimes we just go into prayer. We just pray, just more prayer. And you pray, you pray the prayer, it's no going. You stay there for a year, it's no going. Something is wrong. Pastor, somebody said, you, you think everything is spiritual. Let me fight it with spiritual, and if it doesn't go, then maybe we try other ways. So when we notice some things are not aligned in our lives, and you have found out in the Bible, or God has spoken to you directly, maybe through a prophet or a message that uh, this is for you, and you are not enjoying it, and you've prayed about it, you want to look into it critically. Maybe the devil is afflicting you in that area. Praise the Lord. So, just basically, if you are not, uh, if you are, if you are, the devil is showing you that uh, you are hopeless. You you are hopeless. There's nothing. There's nothing about you. You want to push you to the place of depression. You want to push you to the place of depression. I want to tell you that God is not faithful. Then the devil is attacking you. Praise the Lord. What is the second question? The second one says, can an evil covenant be entered into on behalf of somebody who is in Christ? Yes. How, ma? Uh, friends, parents, people can enter into covenants on your behalf. And I believe when we are born again, it's our spirit that is born again. We still have blood flowing through our veins. So there's, there may be some, uh, some evil in the family, some uh, negative to your patterns in the family, we must consciously break it because well, we still have that, uh, that blood in us. We still have that blood in us. I am Toyo I'm from Ondo State, I am this. If, like, I do tell people that are close to me that say there's something that are very, very peculiar to my family. If you are second born, if you are born again, if you don't address it, if you are first born, either a girl or a boy, you will, be, you will impregnate some, somebody. If you are a girl, they will impregnate you. It's, it's, a, it's a normal thing in the family. It's a normal thing. Even if your, your dad is a pastor, regardless, it's a normal thing. And it's happening and we don't pay attention to it. I remember I have a younger brother. He has a PhD. I said, ah, when are you going to get married? He said, ah, marriage care. I said, ah, why? Yeah, I remember that in the family, if you are a guy, if you don't get to the age of 35, you won't think about getting married. So it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a problem in the family. And as a born again Christian, if you don't pay attention to it, Jesus said, this daughter of Zion, the devil burned him for 18 years. So we must know some things that... Uh, maybe in our families that are peculiar to us, and we must consciously, consciously break it. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you so much. My round of applause, please. Um, I will pass this last question. Can, because I, of, yes? can I add to that, sir? Okay, sir. Can I add to what? Go on, sir. 
Okay, sir. I just want to share a testimony, um, an experience that happened to someone. Um, this lady got born again. She's a Christian, but she lived with her son, and, you know, things keep missing in her house. Uh, a pair of earrings, a pair of shoes, she would keep things, and, it, it, you know, it was missing. And she thought it was the son. And so she gave the son, uh, the child, the money to keep. And she went to say, okay, let me see how he will steal this money. And lo and behold, the money was missing. So for some reason, she had to travel to the village. She has not been to the village for a long time. So she traveled to the village. As soon as she got to the village, someone called her. And the name they called her is usually the name that her own dad, her late dad, used to call her. And she was shocked. So she turned back and looked. It was their chief priest. She didn't really know him as a chief priest. But after some introduction, she understood, oh, this is the chief priest. And she, he said something. Do you know this, this, this? He brought all those things that she was looking for. And she was shocked. He said, you know what? Your father has already dedicated you, you know, that you are the one that is going to take over this work. And she was angry. She said one thing to this man, who is the chief priest. And she said, this is the last you will ever take from me again. And that was the end of it. Why? Now, she has grown from, from that, you know, salvation level to another level that she understood her place in Christ. She understood where she belonged to. Scripture says we are seated in heavenly places and the devil is under our feet. If we are seated in heavenly places and you have the understanding, the devil cannot rubbish you. The devil cannot take what belongs to you without permission. The devil cannot even come to your dream to manipulate you. And you can imagine if the devil does that, people will be, they will be shaking. They will be jumping up and down. No. But if you know your place and your worth in Christ, we are bought with a, a price that you cannot get anywhere. And that price is the blood of Jesus Christ. And he said, we are joined here. So you and Jesus share the same rights and privilege. Now, if you are God like Jesus is, you can command things. You can change things. It is true they can do that on your behalf, but as a child of God, if you grow, you don't do it when you get born again, but if you grow and you have the understanding and the knowledge, you will command things and they will obey. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much, sir. A round of applause. And please, let's clap for our pastors. Thank you so much. We value you. You can please come down to your seats. Um, brethren, as we round up, you would agree with me that understanding is very key. Understanding is what? Is very key. And understanding cannot come except you do. You read the word and you pray. So I just want us to rise up and pray. The Father, give me understanding. Give me the grace to dwell in your presence. In the name of Jesus. Please pray that prayers very seriously. Understanding is key. Many things can be done around us, against us, but with the level of understanding that you have, you can prevent the devil from coming close to your territory. Ask the Lord tonight, Father, grant me deep understanding of you and show me to me, O oh God, to myself. Let me know where I am, where I am in you. 
Let me understand me, my position in you, and help me to walk in it. Somebody pray before the Lord this night. Help me, Lord, to walk in the understanding of my position in you. Because the Bible says that I'm here. We continue to be a slave, even though he's the master of everything. All Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. Even though he's the master of everything, he will continue to be a servant, a slave in his own, in his own estate as long as he refuses to grow. Father, help me to grow in my knowledge of you. You see, that kind of hair in the hands of the devil will be toiled here and there, even though he's the master, he's supposed to be given command. But as long as he or she refuses to grow, the devil will continue to toss him or, or hard up and down. Let's pray, Father, help me. Grant me understanding, oh God. In the realm of the spirit, let me know exactly who I am. Let me walk in it, O oh God. Let me walk in it, O oh God, in this understanding. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask God, ask God that all your life, that you will not live it in a wasteful manner. You want to understand God. You want to know God deeper. You want to understand even your position in him and you want to walk in it. Father, help me, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, help me, Lord. Grant me understanding. Thank you, precious Father. And begin to pray this moment, cut, cut down the hands of the enemy from any part of your of our lives. Whatever the devil wants to put us under any attack in the name of Jesus Christ. As men that are even under attack right now in the name of Jesus, we speak that by the power of the Holy Ghost, we speak as a church that they are liberated from every form of attack. In the name of the Lord Jesus, let grace and strength be released upon our brethren. In the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anywhere we are weak, Father, you are my strength, we receive strength. In the name of Jesus, we receive grace to do marvelously for you, to do mightily for you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, precious Father. In Jesus' exalted name we pray. Amen. Father, we thank you this night. Lord, for this section of uh, questions and answers that you have helped us with to teach us better and deeper in your word. I pray, Father, that what... We are taken out of here today. We will not lose it in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, we pray that in time to come, all this knowledge and understanding will work for us. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray when the battle confronts us in one way or the other, challenges of life can come across us one way or the other. Lord, we will bring this out of our bag, of our archives. And Lord, we will use them. We will use the knowledge you have impacted into us tonight, even in all those cases. And Father, victory shall belong to your children. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray as a church, is there anyone among us undergoing any attack right now spiritually? We pray for grace and strength for our brethren to overcome in the name of Jesus Christ. Blessed be your name, O God. Thank you, Lord, for the moment we are spending your presence tonight. Lord, we pray you continually renew our strength. Blessed be your name. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. We hope you were blessed by that teaching. For further inquiries, please visit our website, www.rccgppp.org. You can also check us on Facebook and on YouTube at RCCGPPPSK, on Instagram and Twitter at RCCGPPP. If you are within the city of Regina, Canada, you can join us in person at 1771 Bond Street, S4N, 1X7 for a refreshing time in God's presence.